Charlotte. Edna, where have you been? Charlotte. Tell me, do I look like a hussy? Edna, what on earth do you mean? Do I? Do I look like the kind of girl that men insult? Because I've been insulted. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Raslett. I'm David Dahl. And this week we are on our second of the 1941 nominees with Blossoms in the Dust. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I would like to try an experiment because I watched this movie yesterday morning. And I do not have the tab open to the Wikipedia page on this film. And I would like to summarize it as all of the information about it leaks out of my brain. Because, boy, there is nothing memorable about this movie at all. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. So, first off, not going to get any character names, not even going to try. This is a movie about a lady who eventually lives in Texas... Uh, But I think the start is like in Alabama, some other part of the South, whatever. And the first half of this movie is basically trying to get some of that Gone with the Wind money. (laughs) Because there's just a lot of like technicolor, bright Southern dresses stuff. She and her best friend are both engaged to be married. But she meets a guy at a bank who like hits on her hardcore. And it doesn't work at all until suddenly it does in a montage of letters. She breaks off the engagement with the first guy and is getting married to this other guy instead. Boy, you would think any of that would be all that important. It's kind of not. Her best friend, who is also getting married, turns out to have been an illegitimate birth. And the mother of her fiancé finds out about this and, like, yells at her, and she does a classic screen test of time jump straight to suicide. Where her fiancé is like, I still love you, we're still getting married, my mom just sucks. And she, like, throws all of her jewelry at the lead of this movie and goes to her room and shoots herself. In the space of, like, 30 seconds. This becomes important in an hour and 20 minutes. (laughs) Between that, though, we have the most Gone with the Wind rip-off-y part, which is this montage of all of the great necklaces our lead is given by her husband on every wedding anniversary to discuss their early marriage where they have a kid and that kid dies exactly like Scarlett O'Hara's kid in Gone with the Wind, which is falling off of a horse. The marriage kind of struggles about it. Is that how the kid dies? Because they literally never... I mean, I know they were going to go riding, but I wasn't clear that they were on a horse or like in a carriage or, oh, he fell and hit his head or anything. It's just like they bring in his dead body. I mean, I I agree with you that there is absolutely no way to know that Arnold Schwarzenegger did not appear out of a time cube and the Terminator didn't just murder that kid. (laughs) I assume, given that they keep talking about this horse and then the servants come in and are just like, there's nothing to be done she's just a dead kid now that it was a horse riding accident we then have a totally unimportant part where the husband's business fails which is i guess just so that she has to struggle financially when we finally get to the biopic part of this like an hour in and figure out that this movie is about her trying to find families to adopt orphaned children and then having a dramatic fight to strike illegitimate from the names of orphan births on birth certificates in all the records in Texas. There's also like a side, side, side plot 
about her saving like a cute little Timmy that has to wear a leg brace and finally accepting after nursing him back to health that he needs to go off and live with another family because her duty is to raise all of the children. And like, I'm being really dismissive. It seems like this person in real life was super great, but this is as a biopic, just so boring and so nothing. And like, that was the whole movie end of film, like 20 seconds ago. I have a really hard time talking about it because I don't want to say that it's weird because that lends some kind of interest level to it that it does not have. <laughs> First of all, I think something we need to get out of the way is the movie is in color, which does make it unusual, if not unique, in the nominees so far for all of the Oscars since 1927, and certainly unique to 1941, at least thus far. The acting is so incongruous with the story. We've had a lot of misses with biopics in this project. I can't really even think of one that we've had that really worked. But there's either some kind of hardcore sexism that is working against this one where our protagonist can't be in any way difficult because she's a woman. But she's also supposed to be this fighter for the rights of children and not making kids carry the shame their whole life of being marked as illegitimate because it turns out that her sister was and it resulted in her committing suicide. I want to stress this because I was also under this same misapprehension. Not her sister, just a rando friend of hers. Oh, well, why the hell were they getting... They were like, we're losing two girls on the same day. Because she's like adopted into that family, but not really. I skipped a part where a woman by pure coincidence comes in and gives away all of her money to the orphanage because she just found out she's illegitimate and her husband will never forgive her and she's going to kill herself. And the lead can do a big speech about like, I had a friend like you once I mean, essentially, I think it's just a made-up character that lets her have, like, a personal connection to marking children as illegitimate, instead of her just working with a lot of children and going, boy, this seems like a shitty, unnecessary thing we do administratively. I mean, whatever the situation is, but it's discordant with what I have come to expect from a biopic about someone who is an activist. I mean, she's constantly like, Oh, darling, darling this and darling that. She calls all of the children darling. And she's the most stereotypically to the point of absurdity maternal woman that ever graced the screen. And her husband, who dies at some point, is also completely ridiculous because the way that they get together is he sees her engagement ring and says, that better not be an engagement ring because you're going to be my wife. And she's going to get married in, like, days. And somehow is like, yeah, that works. <laughs> it, it just doesn't make any sense. The tone of this movie makes no sense with what is supposed to be this incredibly big deal, serious movement to... Uh, essentially not damage people's entire lives because their parents weren't married. I do not know if this is actually what it was going on, but what it feels like is the biopic part of this that was the last 40 minutes 
was going to be a much larger percentage of the movie. And then Gone with the Wind came out and made a bunch of money. And they were like, well, there's this section early on where they're rich. And like, let's really expand that out and make that like over half the movie. Because there's also the part where she's like hosting big dinner parties and is like, oh, I could never adopt a daughter. Oh, never. I must go meet the Baron. And then immediately they're like, that's kind of shitty. And she's like, oh, my God, you're right. I must go to her. Well, then what? None of what? Yeah. And her husband says, you've been repressing all of the feelings you have about our dead child by partying for the last like six years or something. (laughs) Which... Boy, I wish I got the sense of that and not this one weird scene. Yeah, well, because we never got that. There was no, like, there was no feeling of desperation to her partying where it was that she was trying to ignore these feelings that she has. We're just told. We're told a lot of things in this movie and we see very, very little And for a movie that is one of the few so far that has been in color, that's really disappointing because visually they have something going for them that isn't in any other film or not in very many other films and they do nothing with it. Yeah. And like, I think that's the thing that feels so discordant is that for the last 40 minutes, this is just like almost a parody of like bog standard Oscar biopic shit. Like there's the big scene in the Texas legislature where she stands up and goes, Mr. Senator, have you ever considered you're a piece of shit and I love children? And everyone claps. (laughs) Like there's... Yeah... And, like, there's the dramatic courtroom scene where it seems like there might actually be conflict, but then it turns out the judge has been on her side the whole time because he knows she's one of the greatest living Americans or whatever. Also, it's his adopted kid is the twist at the end of the scene. Like, a shitty biological father wants to figure out who has adopted his kid so that he can blackmail the parents and get a bunch of money out of them around this illegitimacy stuff. And the judge, essentially, I guess, just to mess with her head or give her an opportunity to show how great she is, keeps threatening to send her to jail and then is like, I actually can't try this case. Go to Austin and know that you are great. Yep. That whole thing is just such Oscar Beatty stuff that it feels so discordant with this, like, show of, like, wealth and, like, southern extravagance that is the first half to two-thirds of this movie that just feels like they just got all the costumes back out and blew the dust off some of the extra Technicolor film they had from Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Let's just go all out having everybody wear colorful, great dresses. And it has nothing to do with the movie, and it's really weird. I'm not even sure what period it's supposed to be set in, because the costumes are sort of Victorian at the beginning, but then at the front of the movie, they say that this woman is still working in Texas doing this kind of work. So, 50 years later? It's, I think, during the montage of all the really rad necklaces he gives her on their anniversaries, their early marriage is like the 1906-1907, somewhere in there. So I think they're just wearing these weird throwback dresses, and the end of the movie is like 20s, I guess, I would guess. Yeah, okay. It's not a good movie, I guess, is really what it boils down to. Yeah. I mean, it's not insufferable to watch, mostly because the acting is so bright and so, like... I don't even know how to describe it other than it's very bright. 
that you're waiting for the thing that happens and then like nothing happens. It feels like a 1950s TV, not even drama. It feels like a made-for-TV movie. That's what it feels like. It's not that the acting is bad. It's that the acting knows it doesn't have to try very hard. Right, right. There's just this, like, extra level of polish that they only bothered with on the costumes. Well, and I would say that Greer Garson, who plays... Edna Gladney, who is the woman who does all of this stuff. She's giving a very good performance that fits very much within this film and supports the script that she's been given. But that kind of is the problem. (laughs) There's no depth to her character because there's no depth to the movie. They kind of try in the first half to sort of complicate her character, but then the movie doesn't want her character to be complicated at all. So it just keeps establishing this stuff like, oh, the trauma of the death of my child. Oh, this like world weariness that has made me into a like flippant party society woman. And then going like, you know what? Forget that. Now I just love kids. Yeah. It doesn't want her to be a complicated figure. It wants this to be a biopic about a great woman. And to be honest, Edna Gladney seems pretty great. Yeah. But it does mean you don't lock into what this movie is for an hour, and it's 99 minutes long. Yeah. It's weird. In that one way, I think you are right to say that calling it weird gives it too much credit, says there's a there there when there kind of isn't, but it is kind of just two movies soldered together, and it's very strange. In that regard. Yes. But both of the two movies that are connected to each other just very loosely are boring. (laughs) I think that's a perfect way of describing it. (laughs) So I guess we should rate this film since there's not really a lot to talk about. Yeah, for sure not. Um, I feel like I'm getting a lot of threes lately. Like three has become my default. Like, I don't care. Um, Four? A two? I don't... I think four. I think four. Because, I mean, like you said, there's some gloss on the costumes. The Technicolor is good. I mean, it is proficient. (laughs) You can see everything and hear everything. There's nothing exciting about it. There was nothing that made me angry. (laughs) Yes, it is wild to me that we've gotten to the point in this podcast that is about only reviewing movies nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. That we're like, four, competently made, I wasn't enraged. (laughs) But I agree. Like, uh, okay, four. I know, it is weird that that's a thing, but that's a thing. Yeah, um, don't watch this movie. Yeah, there's literally no reason whatsoever to watch this movie. Is there anything to watch that's like this but is better? <sighs> like any Hallmark movie? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Because then it just commits to just being that bright, we're all wearing costumes, maybe we're going to marry a duke, who knows what's happening? At least then that's in that kind of flippant tone the whole time, instead of being this weird, mismatched, like, moppet of a thing that, like, wants to be a big, important movie while doing all of those signifiers, which is very strange. Right. There are good biopics, like, in the world. We just haven't watched any for this yet. It feels sort of weird to be like, I don't know, go watch Philadelphia. (laughs) Because it's like, that's so like far from anything related to this. 
like watch Gone with the Wind again. No, or not watch Gone. Watch Wizard of Oz again. Like yes. I think it was the same batch of film. <laughs> I'm not even joking. They're both MGM. I think it was just some leftover film they had from Wizard of Oz, and they were like, "Let's make this one in color because Gone with the Wind was successful." It really has that vibe to me. Yeah, and there's no real reason to make this in color instead of black and white. Like, why spend the money on it? Right. It is this weird cash-in Oscar play thing that you see occasionally, but honestly, Hollywood even just gets better at that. Better at, like, someone made this movie good three years ago, and, like, just hoop skirt dresses are real hot right now. Well, they're not wearing hoop skirts, though. (laughs) It's in the Victorian era, so they have bustles, but they don't have hoop skirts. Okay, I genuinely don't know when hoop skirts are dated to. The Civil War era. Okay, I mean, they look like Civil War era dresses, is what I'm saying. Disagree. Early in this thing, but they're not. (laughs) The shape is totally wrong. They look like Gone with the Wind. They did have corsets. I mean, like... From the waist up, I can see how they would be similar. I think the intention in all of these big shots of the big southern house and them all in very bright dresses is to evoke Gone with the Wind. I do not know enough about dressmaking to know how the dresses are technically similar or different from the dresses in Gone with the Wind. I think it's a cash-in, though, in that way. I think those are the things they think made Gone with the Wind a success. And are trying to do it in this film where it doesn't really make any sense to do that. No, it's a period piece in so far as the story they're telling is set at a particular period, but it's not about that period. I think they just like saw Texas and went, good enough. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's not good. I'm not loving it. Nope. Boy, this is a short one. So next week, (laughs) we've got Sergeant York which is another biopic, but stars Gary Cooper. So like, you know. But boy, that is a terrible poster. Who boy. Like. Yeah, it's not good. I mean, I guess it doesn't quite have the like cut out magazine pictures from a kidnapper vibe that the Blossoms in the Dust poster has. <laughs> but like, it's still pretty bad. Yeah. And we'll see if the movie follows suit or not. So tune in next week. And until then... This was two movies, and both of them were boring. This was mostly a way to use up some leftover color film stock. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye. I'm no good. Watch yourself. (laughs) You're talking about the girl I love. Oh, Sam. (laughs) 